0: Good morning, everyone. So for those of you on spring break, how was your week? Good? Good travels? Good visiting? Good rest? Ready to go back tomorrow? No? Me neither. Me neither. I went with uh, Kurt to a business meeting in Reno, and of course our hotel was in a casino, and I got a virus. And Wednesday morning I could barely talk. I sounded like a male smoker. So I asked for prayer, and uh, I'm sounding a lot better today, but I'm still sniffly. So um, this morning, uh, we're going to, I think, wrap up the faith series on the book of Hebrews. And as we've been discussing, the 11th chapter um, of Hebrews is also called the Hall of Faith. And as Pastor Jim and Sharon have shared with us previously, this book of Hebrews is thought to be written by Barnabas. It was also thought to be written before 70 AD as Hebrews refers to the temple sacrifices and the Jerusalem temple was destroyed by the Romans in uh, 70 AD. Sorry, I'm trembling. Whew. So um, I saw this morning that my presentation might be on the Holy Lands, my recent trip, but I, it took a little turn for me. I'd be more than glad to share with anybody who wants to know about my Israel trip. But I really felt led just to share some words of um, how God uses the flawed people, us flawed people. So he uses us flawed individuals in his ministry. Many people who were called to further his kingdom had troubled pasts. God can use anyone even you. To grow his kingdom throughout scripture we see God using imperfect people for the sake of his mission. I never quite understood why God chose the individuals he did, but I am guessing his reasoning is better than mine, and it was to further prove the the validity of his being. He didn't call the popular, the rich, the successful to further his ministry, but rather the broken, the poor, and the faithful. I can only imagine how confused the Pharisees and religious leaders must have been while looking at the team of people the proclaimed Savior had gathered together. From an outside perspective, we can see that it didn't matter where people were from what they had done or who they were once were. God used all people for the good of his will. God chooses people with problems. God has always had a thing for choosing people who aren't exactly perfect specimens with picture-perfect pasts. And I'd like to share a few examples. God chose Joseph to save God's people from famine despite the fact that Joseph came from a family that abused him and was so dysfunctional that his brother sold him into slavery. God also chose Gideon, a fear-driven wimp, to lead his army. He chose Ruth to be one of Jesus' ancestors, even though Ruth was childless, a widow, and a foreigner. God chose Moses to represent him and be his spokesperson Moses was an unexpected choice since he had a serious stuttering problem. Did I mention that Moses was also a murderer? In Exodus 2:11, excuse me, 2:11 and 12, it is said, "And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens, and he spied an Egyptian smiting a Hebrew, one of his brethren." And he looked this way and that way, and when he saw there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. God even chooses people whose flaws are a result of their own sins and bad choices. God chose Abraham to be the father of faith, even though Abraham had a serious problem with lying. God chose to save Noah from the flood, And you might think, well, Noah must have been perfect. But according to Genesis 9, 20 and 21, after the flood, Noah got drunk and passed out completely naked in his tent. So even the godliest of men can make bad choices and ruin their reputation. He chose Rahab for a starring role in the Bible, and she was a prostitute. And then he chose David an adulterer, and a murderer to lead his people. David's story just fascinates me. When I um, began my Christian walk, Pastor Sharon gave us a course, or offered a course on, I think it was called On Course, and it was a walk through the Bible. So basically, we read the Bible from front to back, I'd like to say almost every word, but maybe not every word, honestly. And I was amazed. This is my first time reading the Bible. About how much drama, sin, holy moly, it's better than a novel. So back to David. God chose David to be Israel's king. In First Samuel 13, verse 14. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people. Think about that. A man after God's own heart. I got stuck here for a little bit thinking about that. We'll come back to that one before we're finished. The selection of David to be king of Israel shows how God often disregards our human flaws to accomplish his purposes. By human standards, David, as the youngest son of Jesse, yet Jesse had seven boys, appeared least likely to be considered for a king. But God saw the heart of this young man and knew that his people needed a leader with a tender spirit. David might have become a warrior, but his gentleness gentleness was his most defining trait. David developed into a leader of courage with wisdom and strength beyond his years. In 1 Samuel 17, verses 40 through 50, we read of how David demonstrated his godly spirit through his willingness to take on Goliath while the great army of Israel hid in their tents. Can we put up the next slide real quick? This was overlooking the valley in Israel of where it is believed that David uh, killed Goliath. And the next one is a closer up. Absolutely beautiful. So, forgot where I left off. Clearly, David enjoyed a sense of deep faith in God that he would defeat Goliath. Not only would he defeat Goliath, but he would give all of the glory to God. So after David defeated Goliath and he becomes the ruler of all of Israel, he captures Jerusalem from the Jebusites and creates a new capital for his unified nation. And in 2 Samuel 7:16. God promises David, your throne will be established forever. All of the military victories have made Israel strong. So in the spring, David stays home from a battle. Instead of joining his army in the battle against the Ammonites. So one evening, David is out on the roof of his palace. And he spots a woman bathing She was very beautiful, and David needed to know more about her. So he sent someone to find out. And his servant came back and said, her name is Bathsheba. She's the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah, which was a warrior in David's own army. So David sent for her, and she came to him, and he took her to his bed. She went back home and sent word to David later that she was pregnant. So as David considered the predicament of his decisions, he decided that he would send word to his army's commander, Joab, to send Uriah home. He was thinking, if Uriah comes home and spends some time with Bathsheba, then maybe that child, my child, would be considered his. Good plan, right? So Uriah came home. But Uriah had a stronger ethic and loyalty to his master than David expected. And Uriah came home, but he slept with his master's servants at the foot of the mat of the the palace. And he didn't go home. So David caught him the next morning and said, stay one more day. Stay one more day, go home, take a bath, relax, have a cup of coffee. Again, David chose not to. And he stayed at the entrance of the palace of where his king's servants slept. So when David heard that he didn't go home, he sent word to Joab to put Uriah on the front line of the battle. And Joab did as requested, and Uriah was killed in battle. So after Bathsheba's time of mourning was over, David brought her to his home. She became his wife, and she gave birth to his son. However, seven days after that child's birth, he died. David's actions did not please God. God. The baby conceived in the tryst dies, and David's family begins to splinter apart. One of David's sons, Amnon, rapes his half sister, and a second son, Absalom, the full brother to the violated girl, kills Amnon in revenge. Absalom then conspires—excuse me—to steal the kingdom from David, causing his father to flee for his life. And when Absalom dies in battle with David's men. David grieves so deeply that it offends his soldiers. Ultimately, David returns to Jerusalem to reassert his kingship, and he also raises another son born to Bathsheba, Solomon. In short, David became a hot mess. He finally breaks down, falls to his knees, and begs Lord for his forgiveness. So, King David's story highlights the vital importance of the choices we make. Who would have guessed that such a great man could fall into such terrible sin? So, we all make bad choices. We all have quirks and bad habits. Hang-ups and painful experiences that have left scars. We're not quite right. We're all flawed. What makes you different or like you aren't what you're supposed to be. Maybe someone around you is either getting married or is already married, but you're still single or you might be divorced or you might have lost a spouse. Or perhaps everyone around you seems happy and has everything going for them, but you're struggling with an addiction or depression. Or it could be that you were abused as a child, and it's left you feeling damaged and broken. You just feel like you're not quite right. We're all flawed. So what does the world do with flawed people? The world tends to shun them, sometimes persecute those who are different or not good enough in some way. We all tend to live in fear and keep what makes us different hidden in a secret. So what do we do? Where do we turn? I think we have to turn to each other and to the church. I think the flaws in our experiences and what we're going through gives each of us a reason to relate to each other The bottom line is is that God has a history of choosing messy people with problems. If you have ever been left feeling unqualified to serve, yes, again. God's strength is your power over any flaw or weakness. Did you hear that? Your weakness is God's power. God created the church to be a safe haven for the flawed, the damaged, and the broken, to be a place of love who might feel a bit out of place, but not only for the church, a place of acceptance. It's also a training center for people who want to learn to use their abilities to become a part of a team with a mission to serve God's purpose, to serve the world. It's not only your best skills and traits that you can use in, this mission, in that mission. God wants to redeem your weaknesses and use them to reclaim the world and draw people to him. We see God do this all through the Bible. You may be wondering how God might see strength and redemption in your weakness. Maybe you've been through a divorce, but will eventually find healing. God will then use you to minister to others experiencing that heartbreak. Maybe you've struggled with an addiction, but God has or is going to lead you through to recovery so he can hold you up to his friends. Struggling with doubt as an example of how he can bring supernatural healing to a person's life. Maybe you suffer or have suffered from depression. God may take it from you, but maybe he won't. It could be that God won't completely take it away, but that he will still make you a different person. You will have an underlying joy that people can see, even in the midst of depression. People will notice that difference, and they'll turn their lives over to God because of it and begin following Jesus daily. The Bible says that each of us has special abilities. It refers to these abilities as spiritual gifts, such as the ability to encourage people, teach, lead, or show mercy. These may even seem like simple abilities, but when God empowers them, we become capable of doing things we could never do alone, like superheroes. Since we can't do it alone, God puts us on a team. He joins us together. You may be feeling like God is asking you to share your story with somebody. There's a reason for that. Listen to it. Share that story. God joins us together, shows us how to give grace to others, and empowers a team that can truly turn the world upside down. Romans 8, 28, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. So some final thoughts. God already knows your flaws. And he loves you just the way you are, exactly where you're at. And we worship a God who gives us forgiveness daily and, for some of us, every moment of every day. If you ever feel like you're not worthy enough, remember that God uses a bunch of flawed people to share hope to a flawed world. In him, we find renewal and mending and healing. God didn't call the equipped. He equipped the called. And no matter, no matter what we've been through in life, remember that the same power that conquered the grave lives within you and remember how David was a man after the Lord's own heart the Lord feels the same way about you God's own heart longs for you so now will you pray with me dear Heavenly Father How great we are that your own heart longs for us. How blessed we as your people that you know all of our flaws and you still love us so completely. We pray that you will use us with all of our flaws to further gain your kingdom. Use us for your purpose. Thank you for all your love, for all your mercy, and for all your grace. May everything we do give glory to you. Amen.